When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Uh, going well. Now, it's quite extraordinary week in fishing. We kick things off uh, in New South Wales where Troy Scully has sort of had one of the most extraordinary days fishing you could possibly imagine, jigging for snapper on the inshore reefs around Port Stephens. On 20-pound gear, he's landed a baby swordfish. It is quite incredible to to think that your bycatch catching fishing for snapper is a baby sword that's how, – how long would that be? 90 centimetres maybe, including the bill? It, the fish are drunk. I've got nothing more to say. <laughs> the fish are drunk. We're seeing some unusual stuff, and you're probably going to have to put it down to a bit of global warming, Patrick, because we're getting pelagics moving around like they have never moved before, and it's coming down to the currents and everything the likes. I'm not that familiar with global warming, but I know you keep on top of it all. But to catch a swordfish at Port Stephens on snapper gear, <laughs> snapper gear is absolutely insane. But not only that. It's a beautiful fish. Oh, awesome! I would have put it in my fish tank, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's crazy too because down in the southwest here in Victoria, we saw which I've, I haven't seen before. I've seen a couple of reports. I've never caught one. We've seen slender tuna mixed in during the week, and also butterfly tuna, which I have seen caught out of southwest Victoria a couple of times. But they're also unusual species to catch mixed in with the bluefin tuna. So, like I said, the fish are drunk. <laughs> What's the most? What's the the oddest thing that you've caught whilst fishing inshore that you would normally expect to catch offshore? I the only thing that's really happened to myself is that harpooka that I've mentioned a couple of times over the few years. Is harpooka is a deep sea fish, like a few hundred meters of water plus you catch them in. And I caught one on a lure trawling the shelf at Portland. Uh, it'd be eight years ago now, which is. No one – I find it amazing, but no one giving me the bloody credit for it. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it was doing in the top part of the water, but that was unusual. I, I really – I've said to you so many times, I don't know if it's because I fish in my in my own world. I fish so correctly that nothing really happens to me. Like when I – say if I go snapper fishing, I catch snapper. But I've got people that go out. I'll send them to a mark, gummy fishing, say, for instance, in the channel off Queenscliff here, and they'll catch – at nine pound, nine kilo snapper, and I've never even caught a snapper there before. And I've sent them gummy fishing there, and I've fished there a thousand times. Nothing like that ever 
happens to me. Have you ever had anything unusual happen? Uh, probably a few years ago, we were fishing quite and unusual or not, whatever. But we were fishing for snapper in and like as close to the beach as you can just about get. Like we were honestly maybe forty meters off off the beach. And it was literally a, a ball sinker set up with a hook. Like it was it was late afternoon, we just zipped out there uh, to catch a few snapper. And we caught a, a thrasher shark that would have been, you know, 70, 70 odd kilos. <laughs> caught it on a bait caster. Like it was just you're extraordinary. Actually, you're actually that guy that I was talking about. You're actually <laughs> a pain in the ass because you are, you are a tin ass because – Every time you and I go fishing, you we always catch fish. Like I don't, I'm probably going to jinx this. Just to name a few, we went out one time, bronze a shark. You wanted to catch a mako, and old Tony he was fishing the grass beds, and he goes, "Oh, I'm getting the uh, whiting and squid." We drop on one spot. I think on the egg. This same day, we got handful of nice calamari, handful of nice whiting. We went offshore. On the way out, we found those salmon, caught some salmon. We get out there, and I said to you, did you grab those burly logs to drift for a shark? And you go, oh, I forgot to tell you. Apco didn't have any left. We had no <laughs> I filleted the salmon. I scaled the salmon. I, I put the fillets. We didn't bleed them I, just because we were going to use them for burly. I shook the bag. I said to your old man, shake the bag, John Boy, for me, because I had the I had the shits, let's be honest, because you didn't actually bring the burly, and we're chasing a shark. And then by the time I rigged up a rod and put the bait out, I turned around, and we had hundred and. 20, 130 kilo bronze whaler on the end of it, which we landed without a gaff. We managed to put a tail rope on it and we landed it without a gaff. So you've done all right in the fishing world with your uh, with your life. I'll give you that. And then just comes out for a random fish in his new 750 North Bank. He catches 135 kilo bluefin as well. Well, you make your, I think, a good attitude. You make your own luck. Sorry, I, my, my last extraordinary catch, no doubt, was fishing Mission Beach, Queensland. And I was fishing with Paul Worsling. He was uh, recording an episode for iFish. And we were fishing for GTs. And believe it or not, I hooked a GT, but I hooked a GT through a jig. So connected the um, – my hook connected with the hook of a jig that was already in the mouth of a GT. So when we brought it to the boat, the whole thing was captured on, on film. So I was – yeah, it this was where, you could believe it because we filmed it so bring the yeah, bring the fish up to the boat and so many things could have gone wrong uh but you could actually see that the only way that the, the fish is connected to the rod is because these two hooks have overlapped and hooked each other and then later that night at the pub we met a guy that had lost a lure on that same spot and he described the lure perfectly even that there was a couple little beads that he puts on the end of every lure which no one else could have described and he described it so we found the guy at the pub of the night who'd lost the the lure I mean, maybe three or four days beforehand so this gt has been rolling around with this with this uh jig in its mouth 120 gram jig in its mouth the bling oh, extraordinary that, that's the i know there's there's some great stories out there that's the most amazing one i can that, no, that just sums it up what I was pretty much saying from the start of this segment, basically, is that you are a tin ass in fishing because you just uh, – why doesn't anything like that ever happen to me? Like, in my life, I would have lost my jig and my rod. <laughs> it would have been the way it worked. Anyway, it's plenty happened during the week, but one thing that you wanted to talk about today 
was live baiting tips and tricks and how to get live bait because I know you had a couple of messages in the Real Avengers app that you read during the week. Yeah, it's one thing that so we, think- we we get often asked about and and you're not massive on it, particularly for tuna when, you know, you, you've coaxed them up before and, and quite often you'll start to, you'll dice up your uh, your pilchards and you'll, you'll live feed them a pill and you might even thread a, uh, I'll hook through one and hook them that way. But you've been less inclined to use live bait to, to fish for for um, tuna. It's something that you use often for kingfish. But going through, the, I suppose, the species list around what you target, I suppose the most accurate, if we're talking you know, something like whiting, you might go and catch some some sandworms. Um, yeah, bass yabbies. Yeah, yeah bass yabbies. That's sort of as, as live as it gets for, you know, species – inside the bay and you can use the same thing obviously if you're fishing for for snapper even though you're you're more inclined to use pilchards and and obviously frozen squid but the tuna captures that you go after is it something that you look at it's obviously used quite often up north but we seem less inclined to use that sort of thing in the southern states yeah the baits definitely dead baits are definitely uh probably more or the dominant way to target species, just because I guess we don't have the scarce bait that other parts of the world have or the country has uh, here in Victoria. But it's definitely, I think, probably one of the – it is probably the most productive. Some fish are lazy. So things like gummy sharks and the scavengers on the bottom, it's easier for them to eat a dead salmon chunk rather than to chase a salmon around. They're just not going to do that. But a thing like, for instance, a snapper, I caught some thumping snapper this year on little live slimy mackerel. It was just yep. whether I could catch him on the day. So, and that's what it comes down to a lot, doesn't it? If, if you've got the time to actually go and chase live bait in order to then go and target your snapper, your sharks, tuna, etc. Oh, exactly. And I, I, for instance, a slimy mackerel uh, is a great fish to use for uh, for mar- for marlin up the east coast. We use them live every single time. If I can get a mako shark up around the boat, I would probably rather use a live live injured slimy on a hook than a dead one because it sparks them up it fires them up it gets them ready same as a kingfish putting once you get a live bait to go you can often get the jigs to go you can get the reaction bite off a live bait so the live bait will also uh for instance uh you're casting poppers at a school of kingfish if you cast the poppers the kingfish are inquisitive they'll come over and they'll chase that popper they might not eat it or a surface bait and they'll look at the live bait and they'll actually eat the live bait and then you'll get the reaction bite and else on other methods Quite often, you'll speak about if you if you've got a few kings on board and you're happy to play with one, it means play with it. That'll stir up the other kings around it, and you keep casting and, you, and you'll you'll keep them interested. Yeah, ninja turtle like I like to call it because they've got that green band around their eyes, as my uh, son Finn would say. Ninja turtle fight. He uh, he put the uh, he's got they got the green band around their eyes, so they they and when it gets dark and starts to look dull. That's when we like to, to change it. So it's called tethering. So if you can sacrifice a kingfish to keep it under the boat for, say, five, eight minutes while you've got other, someone else and try and leave one in the water the whole time, the school yep. very rarely will leave that school until, I guess, a period of time, a period of time Pat. So yeah, they might hang around for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes an hour. You and I have had them. I remember one time off Aries, you and I had them for like an hour and we, you, myself, you were in your boat with your dad and I was in the other boat and we are just drifting next to each other catching fish after fish and they stayed for hours, surface, uh, jigging, everything. So, But it's about getting them fired up and live bait is one of those things 
Uh, Squid's another great way to do it. I'm catching uh, Squid on live, little live Tommy Ruffs this year. I actually did a lot of that. So I kept them live in the live bait tank and I actually caught the squid, baited them up live on the spike and just the vibrations fired that squid up a little bit more as well. So when, you, when you're searching for whether it be Tommy Ruff, um, Arrow Squid, what are the grounds you, you're looking for? Let's start with, with Tommy Ruff and Slimies. Yep. Edge of reef, is it is it potluck? What's the what's the process behind, you know, for those that are listening, really giving yourself the best chance to catch really good quality live bait? Reef, you can't beat reef. Any or structure. Any reef or structure, that's the go. Probably not so your Tommies. Your, or no, your, your Tommies as well. Like you're in and around harbours, your Tommies are great in there, your little salmon uh, 21 centimetres. But slimy mackerel, you can't beat them. Uh, in, in the ocean, you find basically any sort of reef in that 20 metres outside of here, even all the headlands. Headlands are a great place to start too, Pat, and that's a great place to fish as well. So, for instance, if you're heading out of Bermagui, right on the point of Burmy there, you'll get all your live slimies schooled up on the edges there, right where the current sort of starts to run across the headland, and that's where you'll get your slimies. Somewhere like the continental shelf uh, is always going to hold Fish food, it just always is. It's going to hold bait no matter what it is. You're going to have updwellings. You're going to have all sorts of nutrients coming out of that, and it's always going to hold fish. So bait, which holds fish. So find the right water, and you're going to find your right uh, your right bait. But the tips and tricks to it is just literally sounder. I don't think you can beat your sounder. Like your sounder is your number one. Um, I guess it, it shows you where everything is without having to waste time. So. I, I'm not when we're chasing marlin, for instance, we're in 180 meters of water pad on the in, inside of the continental shelf, and I'll be just sitting at 10 kilometers an hour, just trawling my lures, and I'll say to the boys, well, "We'll put the lures out first. All right, we'll look, start looking for some bait. We put the lures out. I stop the boat. I mark up bait. We've been efficient. We've had the lures out, so we've got a chance of catching fish. But we've covered ground, and we're also searching and trying to locate where the bait is as well. And I'll say to the boys, right, I'll quickly drop the sinkers down." get the slimies and bring it back up. So I think a sounder is another, I guess, must-have when you are trying to get yourself bait. It's one thing to get it. The other thing is obviously to, to keep it fresh. So a well-aerated live bait tank with a decent amount of water that, that gives it some, well, the fish some room to move is obviously critical to, to keeping those live bait healthy. I'll just throw one more in there before a couple of minutes left, maybe maybe a minute or so, but the um, – when we're doing these barrels for the tuna, you mentioned them at the start of the, the show, is don't be afraid to, to net the bait too. So when you get the bait balls that the fish are working on and you, if you can't get a bite on a lure, get stop on the bait, scoop up some live bait or whatever bait it is, and then drop it down. Like the amount of fish that I caught last year, scooping up red bait, yakkers and whatnot and putting it back down, you're actually putting the fish down on what they're eating. Now, you don't necessarily have to be alive. I think live is probably going to be the best way to do it. Um, but if you get a big yakka, don't be afraid to float a de- that a yakka down dead through that bait ball because that's what the tuna that's what the tuna are wanting to eat. So it's a pretty pretty good way to get yourself a big fish or a small fish. Huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Sam Goodwin, our master chef extraordinaire, joins us to talk through the preparation. Uh, in regards to tuna, everyone's talking about it at the moment, but how can you really make the most of the tuna that you catch? So by the time it hits the plate, it's something that's worth remembering and something that you truly enjoy eating. This 
is Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time to find out what's biting in your part of the country. We start in New South Wales. Redmond Marimbula has had huge land-based kingfish this week. Now, they're always there, but there's some really big fish being caught at the moment. We had John from Mimosa Oysters on our show a little while ago, and geez, his oysters are tasty, Pat. I love a good oyster. <laughs> and uh, we had him on the show, and I, was, I caught up with him a little while ago, and he was explaining to me, that he does a lot of diving and spearfishing, and he was diving out of Marimbula all the time around the piers and Tartha and whatnot, and the local kingfish, they call them, the big 20-kilo fish are always there, he reckons, and he has struggles. Uh, he struggles spearing them. He's like, I don't want to spear them because, because they're sort of like the local fish, but to catch them is another thing. They're really hard to get to take baits. Now, during the week... And because they pull like a Mack truck. They pull like a mad. You got to to, to to tighten up the hook and let known stop them. So uh, around the structure. But during the week, a young fella went down to the pier and landed an absolute stonker. And it's not uncommon to see these guys caught there in April. It's a very good time to head to Marimbula Jetty, get yourself some live bait, and hold on to your jocks because trying to land these fish is seriously they're a big fish. Oh, this fish would have had to have been what fifteen plus kilo. Yeah, it was a really nice fish. But that's a big kingfish. But speaking of kingfish as well. Monty Island, Pat. Cam White was down there during the week, and he gave me a good report. Knife jigs and live baits, small, slimy mackerel, they were plagued with them, plagued with kingfish. One day they were small fish. One day they were bigger fish. Seals and pricks of things there was his exact words. <laughs> they were, might have been a little bit more language there at the time, but they are giving him a bit of grief for seals. How are they, how are they targeting them? What's been the, the most successful format of on the best way to do it, we spoke about it at the start of the show, get yourself some live bait. They're going yep. to get you the bigger fish, but the problem is the seals, Pat. If yep. you put your slime back in the water, they eat your live bait. So jigging then comes into, I guess, or in squid strips, the seals won't hit the squid strips as much, but you've got to obviously get the squid. That's the other issue. But if you can get slimies down there away from the seals, they're going to get you the bigger fish. It's the best way to do it. And another good friend of mine, Kane, uh, was staying in Tarthra, and Kane is your favourite fisherman, I think, Pat, because you think he doesn't work a minute of the minute of the week. He but, doesn't. He's a builder that is full time fisherman. <laughs> full time fisherman. He's off Tarthra Beach, and he gave me a live report. He reckons the salmon and the tailor. Now this is even funnier though. He was getting a uh, treble hook out of the salmon's mouth. So this is this is why you don't use trebles, Pat. And I should send you the photo. He's actually gone to pull the treble hooks out of the salmon and it's ripped out and it's ended up flicking into his chest <laughs> through his T-shirt. So he's got a set of uh, nipple piercings in, under, in one side of his pet. <laughs> trebles flung out of the salmon and ended up in his chest. So that's why we often don't talk about using trebles, change your hooks to singles. And, of course, Redmond, the other one, is uh, Port Stevens at the moment. Uh, in, in shallow water, the uh, the swordfish are fishing really well. Uh, you know, 20-pound gear and uh, and your snapper setup will will do the job on there. Small, small micro jigs. <laughs> uh, let's move to uh, South Australia. Hammerheads being caught Port Neal at the moment, and they're usually in packs, but some, some interesting captures. Yeah, the fish with the hammerhead, they um, – they, yeah, I'm seeing for some reason I'm seeing massive numbers of these right through my social media, right around the whole country. There's different types of hammerheads, rules and regs for different hammerheads as well. Some are endangered, but uh, Port Port Neil, I think I've seen three or four fish hammerheads come out of there in the last few days. So 
if you often if you have a shark bait out, they're a beautiful eating shark. Uh, for me, I have caught and uh, killed one and ate one and eat. Good, had good Eason. morning. Had good morning. Uh, eaten one <laughs> and, and <laughs> it's uh, and we it was beautiful to eat, but I actually felt quite guilty uh, killing the shark in itself. I don't know why, Pat. Like it just it was just one of those things. Like do you like if I don't know if you make a shark, you sort of just take it and eat it. Where this thing was, it's like a unique species. I don't they know. are. Yeah, there's something about them. Uh, in the surf at Saltwater Creek as well. And this is probably why the hammerheads right around the coast because the salmon fishing right across South Australia is going nuts at the moment. Saltwater Creek, massive salmon, right up to sort of four or five kilo. Like they're big salmon. And the guys that are actually transferring them into baits are getting gummies off the beach too part of the night. So it's well worth heading down before before light, um, uh, before light finishes, getting yourself a few salmon and chucking some baits out. Uh, Queensland, Harvey Bay, Spanish mackerel uh, are fishing super well at the moment on divers once again because of the teeth red, but it's something that you're probably going to uh, load up with some decent metal and steel traces uh, rather than just your mono to, 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 line, uh, to, to lure simply because of the, the challenges that you have keeping those fish hooked up. Yeah, you're spot on. That, that literally is exactly what you need to do, whether it's a foot or a metre of uh, wire trace. It's definitely the go. And, Bring them properly. There's a couple of quick knot white knots to use. If you can jump on YouTube and have a look on how to actually tie a quick wire knot, you and I did it when we headed up there and chasing the mackerel, and you were lucky enough to get one. So it's a good way to do it. Lucinda, one of your favourite places, Pat. The Jackson Queenies have been on fire, uh, sort of around the mangroves and up the creeks and whatnot on surface lures. So that's a really good thing to do if you're up that way. Western Australia, Silver Trevally, out of Fremantle and around the structures have been fishing quite well. Plastics have been the most successful. And there's been plenty of Maui, Maui Redmen on the fads still out wide of Perth. But once again, if you've got that structure and there's, you've got the ocean and, and current movement out there, the Maui, Maui have been uh, not pl- I can't I can't have the Maui, Maui, Maui. It's the Mahi, Mahi, Patrick. I get people – you know what? We'll see how many Instagram messages I get for correcting you on that. I'll get – I'm going with four this week. I'll get – once again, that that water movement and the structure out wide that generates the um, the interest from the mahi mahi, and uh, there's been good catches there. Tasmania, Redmond, Badger's head. That run of bluefin tuna continues. We'll keep talking about it. Whites there. That whole north side of Tasmania has got school tuna everywhere. There's some bigger tuna mixed amongst them, uh, and I'm sure those bigger fish won't be far away. Few people out there targeting swords in Tassie too. Few bit of luck. Few not so much luck. But I know Worsling was out there, bit of bit unsuccessful last week. But he'll be back out there with a bit of success, I'm sure, this week coming. That's that's and part and parcel when it comes to sword sword fishing. And we know Al McGlashan during the week caught a couple of really nice swords. He, he kept one, um, and he he sat tagged the other. But it's just it takes time. You can't go out that far and expect to catch fish when you're fishing 500 meters of water every time. So it's it's the investment of putting the time on the water. There was reports out of uh, Lake's entrance this week of uh, a type of puffer fish slash toadfish that is literally – Lee Rayner did the report I read during the week. They're destroying people's uh, braid. So when you're fishing swordfish, you have, say, for instance, you might have a 100, 150-metre top shot, which is mono, and then the rest of your line's braid to give you a bit of a direct more, – more of a direct contact with the feel of your of your line. Which makes sense because you're, it's that deep that – if you don't have something like braid, if you use mono for 500 metres, you just wouldn't get any feel because of the stretch in the line. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And you won't, you might not get hook penetration either. So the re and the reason you want the stretch of the mono that hundred meters is because when you're fighting the fish, the stretch actually works can work in your favor to not pulling hooks out. So it's a fine line on how you do it. But these toadfish in the feed layer or the scatter layer, they're like they like you like to call it. They, which is say for instance, it might be from 300 meters to the bottom as a scatter layer on your center. It's basically just feed, and in amongst that was millions and millions of toadfish, and they were literally every. I think Lee Rayner said he just over a thousand dollars in gear he lost just, <laughs> just toadfish dropping down. I think he lost four to eight, four four rigs. I think he lost. He said, which you got to remember, each rigs have money worth like lights on. Proper expensive underwater lights that might be between fifty to hundred dollars each. It might. And it's have, rigging the bait as well. It's the time it takes to sew the bait together. <laughs> Plus your braid. Like if you're dropping, if you put say fifteen hundred meter or twelve hundred meters of braid on a reel, and the sword and the, the puffer bites it halfway up, you lose a few hundred meters of braid. It adds up too. So it's a very expensive way to lose yourself some uh, money as well, sword fishing. But it's a fish of a lifetime that fish. So, that's what's biting in your part of the world. Let's get to the social club. We take your questions from social media each and every week. We do our best to get to as many as we possibly can. Redman, let's start with Bill. Red, when you're barrel fishing, where do you have the drag lever actually set and how much drag do you use? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, once again, we'll stick to 24 kilo. We will always run a third of our line class so if we're running 24 kilo we're going to be running roughly eight kilos of drag give or take a little bit of human error but when you're setting the drag i don't actually run that eight kilo on the initial strike of the fish so say if you're trawling the barrel blueprint pad set your rods out but don't have the actual uh drag all the way up to the strike button just bring it back maybe three clicks and you'll probably be running around that six kilo of drag so that eight kilos is quite a lot of drag, and you don't want to rip the hook out. So six kilos, a few kilos less, and then once you get comfortable, you get all the pods in the out in the water, then bump it straight up to eight kilo, and you'll be away. Which is different if you're fishing for, for sharks, for instance. And one thing that that people get confused sometimes when it comes to setting your drag, you're starting with free spools, essentially. For sharks. Yep. Yeah, for sharks, 100%. Sharks, you are running free spool because you want the shark to eat the bait. You want to let it run with it for a bit. You don't want it to just mouth the bait and then you strike and it pulls it straight out. You want yeah. them to eat it. There's two methods, and if you don't like a little bit of gory stuff, block your ears or turn the radio down right now because if you want to go the kill method, a, 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 a J-hook, let the fish eat it. You can get it hooked down deep, which quite often the shark will come in easier. And Or if you do hook a bit early, you might be lucky enough to get a normal J-hook in the side of the mouth. But if you want to have a catch and release or if you want to have a bit of fun fighting the fish, I highly recommend using circle hooks, Pat. They get him in the corner of a jaw. It's easier for you to handle at the boat if you do want to release or keep because it's hooked in the side of the fish's mouth. And it's also going to be a lot safer for you to use especially when you're running free spool drags like we spoke about just now. Brad, hey, boys, trolling uh, divers for bluefin, how do I stop them jumping out of the water? Now, we could have repeated this question about 15 times, I reckon, because we get it so often. A lot of it has to do with the dive that you're using, Redmond, but also the trawling speed and setting your using the, the correct lures for the trawl speed that you're using. But how do you set yours and how are you preventing 
that jumping and skipping that you know so many anglers have have challenges with. Now, one way to stop it is when you take a diver off, don't just throw it in the side of the boat or into the uh, into the bottom of the bait board like I do, because it starts to damage the actual diver the bib. The, the bib. bib. The, yep. the, yeah, the bit that makes it dive, the bib at the front there, it starts to damage that. And that's firstly what can make the, it, it correct, uh, swim incorrectly. Uh, so don't do that. But I think the best way to get a diver to swim is once you – like you, there's a few – there's a few well, – we'll go into a few things. There's trolling speed, like you said, for the certain size uh, diver. So if you're using, for instance, a Rapala, you want to use, say, a – if you're using a Rapala 40 or 50 – you probably that's going to swim a lot easier. It's going to dive and hold itself in the water. But if you drop to a 10, that's not going to trawl at speed because it's a smaller bib. It's not going to hold water. So you need to slow your speed down a little bit more. But what I think is the most crucial aspect of it is actually changing the hooks to singles, getting rid of the trebles because trebles grab more water. They fling around. They work against yourself even when you hook a fish. But more importantly, line you're lining kilos. So – don't run 200 pound on a diver because that line grabs more water and affects the way the diver swims. Quite often a diver, when you do hook it, you'll find that the diver's in its mouth and it's actually hanging out the end of the mouth quite often because it might be an inch and a half to three inches of the diver hanging out. So getting bitten bitten off is a little bit harder. You get the odd time where it's hooked down deep, but quite often a diver is hooked and hanging out the end of the mouth of a fish because you've got to remember you're trolling at say 10, uh, 10 kilometers an hour that fish grabs that and straight away it's got hooks to fight with. So it generally hooks it at the mouth. To actually get swallowed down in its guts is not as common, but that's why you get away with going slightly lighter. So I'd much rather run 130 pound or 120 pound rather than 200 pound like you can get away with on a skirted lure because the skirted lure will do its thing at the surface where the diver won't. It'll pull out if you're running 200 pound. Beautiful work, Redmond. That is the social club. We take your questions each and every week. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it into our Real Adventures social pages. Simply send us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook, or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Coming up next, Sammy Goodwin from MasterChef, and we discuss the do's and the don'ts when it comes to preparing your southern bluefin tuna. Gearing up for Dometic. Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's now time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Now, Exo Project Kitchen Chef. Well, it's his business and his ex-master chef after all. Sammy Goodwin joins us this morning. Good morning, Sammy. Good morning, boys. Good to be back. It's been a while. It has, it has been, been a while. You've, you've been in lockdown. I, I've just got out of my uh, – I ended up with nine days in ISO because my my partner, I love her, but we uh, contracted COVID at a wedding and then I was two days later, so I copped the um, the raw deal there. The spicy uh, the spicy cough, Sammy. Oh, yeah. Now, before we get into tuna preparation, it's, it's massive at the moment because, you know, people have got the southern bluefin – tuna vibe so everyone's trying to catch these barrels they're trying to catch these school fish let's talk about exo project kitchen it's your baby you've been running it for a while post master chef talk to us about it yeah so it's my new baby i got it launched uh last year in the middle of all our lockdowns in winter um i saw the 
a bit of a craze and things restaurants were doing with these finish at home style meal packs. Um, and our, our restaurant offerings down on the ballerina are a little bit limited in terms of that like modern Asian really flavor packed food that we all love. Um, so I got it off the ground. I do finish at home, modern Asian style meal packs, uh, where I've, I've done all the, all the hard work, all the heavy lifting, slow cooked your meat, made all your really tasty sauces, and then you can throw it together at home in like half an hour over the weekend. Um, now I've kind of piggybacked off that recently, moved in more into the private dining space. Well, that was going to be our next question, Jeff. Is the private diet that's 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 a more of a one-on-one experience where well, you can cater for up to sort of what people, whatever people they want there. But take us through how you actually run the private dinners. Yeah, so this is something. This is nearly the main goal of the business, but because of all the lockdowns last year, we couldn't do that in-home stuff. Um, so it's a really cool experience where uh, I do all the prep in in my kitchen in Ocean Grove. Um, and then I come to your house and we put together like a restaurant style experience and spread, but on your dining table. So you can get together anywhere between like, it can be a, an intimate dinner for, for you and your partner for two people, or we can do it for 20. And we do that modern Asian fun style shared food. Um, and it can be anywhere between three courses or five or six. Patrick, the best part about this is mm-hmm. you and I go we catch 120 kilo bluefin. You rock up home. You give Sammy a message or an email. He'll rock up to your house. He'll clean that bluefin for you, and he will prepare the whole thing. You want ceviche tuna, he'll cook it for you. That's how it works, isn't it, Chef? Uh, I'll cook it. I won't clean it. <laughs> Good timing. I actually had one um, last week. We were doing one for uh, your mate, Caden, and we were doing this um, beef tartare dish for entree. And he, he goes, oh, I've got this tuna in the fridge. I'm like, mate, you should have given me 10 minutes more notice and we could have turned <laughs> this beef dish into a tuna. But so if anyone is out there um, wants a hand doing that, get me along and we can do some fresh fish. So let's talk about tuna because it's, it's certainly relevant at the moment. It's something that you always talk about, Aaron, the, the importance of bleeding your fish because you don't want – uh, blood-drenched flesh by the time it gets to the meal prep stage. When you're going through the do's and don'ts around tuna preparation, Sammy, what are you um, educating, um, you know, those looking to improve their, their culinary skills? Yeah, well, I was actually only talking about this with Caden last week as well. Now, Aaron's probably more of an expert on the um, the – the stuff you do on the boat, so you're gutting it, you're gilling it, you're icing it down in a spurry, you're making sure it's well bled. Um, once you get it home, I'm a bit a big advocate for um, how you how you store it in your fridge. So I don't want to see it wrapped in a plastic bag where it's going to like um, age and its own juice and start to smell because that's when people get really put off the raw fish or even the cooked steak starts to get a bit fishy. But if you can let it breathe, I like to wrap it in like an old tea towel and then put it on like a cake rack in your fridge. And by giving it that that airflow and the, the breathing air around it, I've held tuna in my fridge for like up to 25 days. See, that's something that oh, you learn something new every day. But I've always been one to, oh, I want to keep it fresh, so I'm going to wrap it in Glad Wrap. Yeah, you're going to wrap it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely, like there's your fish like your whiting that you want to eat as fresh as you can, but something um, when you get a big hunk of tuna, definitely – wrap it in, whether it's a chuffs 
blue cloth or a tea towel, um, that'll protect it enough in your fridge. That 25 days that he actually kept that tuna for when he ate it, uh, Pat, only four people died from it. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's actually the start of COVID on the ballerine. (laughs) (laughs) So once you've – so we've wrapped it up. How long do we keep it in the fridge before you feel like um, it's going to be at its best to eat? Because it's not necessarily – this is a bit of a misconception sometimes that the freshest fish is one that you catch straight away and then all of a sudden it's in the pan two hours later. That doesn't – necessarily uh, it isn't the best for really enjoying the the flavor that the fish will provide yeah your big ones for these locally are your tuna and your kingfish you want to be looking at at doing this and they probably they get anywhere from a week to two weeks old is really good um if you just want to make the most of your tuna like if you catch a 30 kilo school tuna that could feed you for three weeks if you're a family of four so um, this is as much about being sustainable and making the most out of your fish. What about sashimi? It sounds – people will often say, right, oh, quickly eat it as fresh as you can. I've caught the tuna. Let's cut a bit off. Let's eat it tonight. Sashimi style, uh, raw. Uh, you, can, you eat, can you eat it sashimi after seven days or are you actually eating it only cooked after seven days, say? Not for sure. Like um, – there's nothing wrong with eating it the day you catch it. It's beautiful. But what I'm what I'm saying is you're not losing anything. You're actually gaining a bit of flavour by ageing it that seven to ten days. Um, pushing it to 25 is probably not required, but it works. What about what ha- this? What actually happens though to the to the to the meat as such? Because one thing that I've noticed is, say I catch a hundred kilo tuna during the week. I've done everything right. I take it out of the ice, I whip, whip the fillets off. What I've noticed is the fillets are actually a lot clearer in a way. It's not They're not nowhere near as red and as firm. It's a lot clearer than just the next day after being on or actually leaving it on ice for 24 hours. Is that is that the start of the process? Yeah, so your fish goes through an initial stage of rigor mortis where it, um, the, the flesh will firm up really nicely. Um, and then, like, over the time that we're aging it, whether it's for seven or ten days, you, you're actually you're losing a little bit of moisture, which condenses the flavour and also the fat transform. I don't know the full scientific term behind it, but it transforms and build up builds up like an umami flavour, which is what we all really crave in food. When it comes to cooking them as steaks, Sammy, what's the ideal sort of size fillets that you look to uh, to cook? Yeah, I'd be cutting it about an inch thick. So that allows you to get a little crust on the outside without actually overcooking the fish. So I'd eat it rare or blue if we're talking in that in that steak terms. Um, but it's kind of personal preference. You can you can um, cook it well done if you prefer. Last question on the blue side of things, Sammy. I, I reckon I get this asked question uh, this question asked the most. Which part of the fish is the best eating part that you've found? So you've got sort of different sections. What do you find is the best? Uh, don't it, something ridiculous, please. None of this cheek or anything. No, um, I, I would go something fatty, especially if you're cooking it in a pan. It'll save it from drying out. So that's your belly. If you're eating sashimi, it's personal preference, whether you want a really clean-tasting part of the top loin right in the centre where you're not getting any of that sinew or you can eat the fatty belly part again if you want to eat it raw. 
Beautiful work. Sam Goodman, thank you for joining us on Real Adventures this morning and talking about Exo Project Kitchen. If you want more information, it's right over Sam Goodwin's socials. He, he is, of course, an ex-Master Chef contestant, and you can get all the relevant information for Exo Project Kitchen on his social media channels. Sammy, thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Thank you for having me. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Red's Review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's time for Red's Review, our product review of the week, thanks to Club Marine. Uh, Wet weather gear, Redmond. Yeah, it's really important. Unfortunately, we uh, had the chef on for too long just before, and and we haven't got a hell of a lot of time, but I think this is just as important as looking after your bluefin out of the water to have a good day because it can literally – there's nothing worse than getting wet and cold. Simple. And wet weather gear is the only way you can stop it. Stormline gear to a massive range. It doesn't matter if you're in the marine industry, agriculture industry, or even just in the commercial. It will cater for everything. Now, they have heavy-duty jackets. So literally, they are heavy-duty. But they also have ones that aren't as heavy-duty that sort of just stop you from getting wet in itself. Now, the reason I've got heavy-duty written in front of me here is because when I'm chasing tuna at Portland and it's freezing cold, you need a heavy-duty jacket that's going to keep you warm and dry. Now, they range from about $200 to $300, the jackets, give or take sizes or whatnot. So make sure you do get the exact right size for you. But I think the more important one is cater for what you're going to be doing the majority of. So you live in Queensland, you're not going to go buy this heavy-duty jacket. You're probably going to get a light jacket just to keep you dry if you have a centre console, if you do a couple a little bit of water. So make sure you do get what covers exactly what you need because you can always put a jumper on underneath one of those lighter jackets as well now the fishing pants is also crucial uh if you if you do get commercial fishermen or if you do uh, chase these bluefin tuna they keep you dry they stop blood from going on you uh and they're around 250 to 300 dollars so when to use it like i said winter going out in the boat blah 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 it's the prime time but you need to be careful when you wear this pat and i'll i'll emphasize this a little bit when you put gum boots on and then you do put these pants on in a jacket. If you do end up in a drink, it's not going to be the nicest place to be. It's going to be very yeah. hard to get gum boots off and all this heavy gear. So it might be worth wearing a bum bag life jacket while you're wearing this pat to help to assist you in floating so you can get it off in the water if you do go in. And I'm only saying this just because I nearly Worst went, case scenario. Yeah, I nearly I nearly went asked over when I was charter fishing one time and I had all the gear on. I've gone, Jesus, I wonder what it's like. And I actually jumped into a mate's pool with all my gear on. I got it on my camera on my phone to actually see how hard it was, and it was very hard to get off. It was so hard to get off. So, and that's in a pool without any moving water, no waves, nothing like that. And not panicking either. Like, I knew I was doing it. So you don't know you're going in on a boat because if you did, you wouldn't let yourself. So wet weather gear is really important. Stormline's a fantastic product to chase, and make sure you head to the website and you'll get all the details that you need at stormline.com.au. That's Red Review, our product review of the week, thanks to Club Marine. That was Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's Tip, and this week we're centering it around uh, recovery and beach recovery when it comes to launching and when it comes to spending money on something like 
uh, Max tracks, which essentially are a piece of plastic that you put underneath your wheels that will give grip uh, where you won't get it normally on the beach. Now, there's a whole range of different products. June do one that, that sell out of an Anaconda. X-Ball have one, and they're around the sort of $100 mark. But if you want to spend and you're happy to spend the money, then you do pay for what you get. And Max Tracks have just released their new extreme version of their signature range, and they're not cheap. They're $499, but where they differ from the other manufacturers out there is the teeth that sit underneath these tracks are replaceable, which doesn't currently exist with other models. So if you lose a few teeth on something you've spent a couple of hundred dollars on very, very quickly, you're not going to get the same grip. So the tip this week, if you are going to, if you are going to spend time beach launching, you do need to plan for the worst case scenario, and that is getting bogged. You need a recovery tool in order to get yourself out of a sticky situation like that. And Max Tracks and their extreme range is something that's definitely worth considering if you're happy to spend the money because they may just save your car. That is Red's tip. It's now time for the flying gaff to finish off the show. It's going straight to the skipper of the uh, of the cattery there, Pat, because T- Joel I, took, Selwood. I took Joel out fishing couple of weeks ago or a week ago and um <laughs> i'm laughing while i'm saying it and i asked i should never have asked him i said joel do you mind i want to drive the boat up do you mind winking it on i've never done it before i don't know I'm like, oh, you'd be right you literally clip that on blah 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 i showed him roughly how to do it while standing next to the car yep i'll be right i drive the boat up i park it on yep all hooked up i'm like i better check this so i jump out off the front of the boat pat and i look down oh man i was impressed he had hooked the D-shackle onto the – I'm going to try and paint a picture here. He hooked the D-shackle onto the loop of the seatbelt that attaches to the actual winch uh, <laughs> to the winch uh, clip in itself. So the winch clip that goes on the U of the boat, not even he's hooked it onto that. He hooked it in between the seatbelt strap that, is the loop <laughs> that goes on the loop of the hook that goes to the boat. Now, I hope that paints a picture for you. It wasn't even attached to the boat. It was attached to the winch. So, Joel, keep playing footy, mate, because uh, <laughs> in this fishing industry, I'll give you the tip. <laughs> That's the flying gaff. This has been Real Adventures. Thanks for your company. We'll see you next week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.